0: Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media, to make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Potatoes and gravy with maybe like a cranberry sauce or something like that. That's small tea. Small tea tradition are things that are not going to impact sort of the faith. The tra- you know, of course, that doesn't have an impact on Thanksgiving, right? If you have turkey or if you have chicken or if you have, I don't know, another dish, it doesn't really impact the meaning of the day. It's just a small T tradition. But big T tradition, capital T tradition, would be to say something like, well, on Thanksgiving, we just go and complain, Now you're going against what? The spirit and the essence of the day. Right? So when we say capital T and lowercase t, tradition, paradosis, meaning capital T, tradition, we're talking about something that's legitimately concerning the faith, the dogmas, the doctrines of the church. Right? So sometimes when we hear the word, oh, tradition, it's not a big deal. Tradition's not a big deal. But what I'm, hoping that you see today is tradition is actually a very big deal. In many ways, you could use the word tradition to mean the whole thing, right? I want you to think with me for a second, like about an engine of a car. A car has this sort of mechanism under the hood that has many parts. And those many parts together work collectively to produce the... Vehicles ability to transport you from one place to another when you study tradition There are many parts of the tradition that you can study right, but all of them together are the tradition right, so like when we say we're going to speak about Tradition in the orthodox perspective in orthodoxy what we're saying is we want to speak about it in an overview like we're gonna speak about the engine in general today, but if you want to speak about tradition, you can go in on every part of the tradition, like the Bible, like the stories of the saints, like the liturgy. Like all of these things are parts of a great thing that we call the church. Does this make sense? Are we good so far? All right, so I want to read from you, for you a little excerpt from one of the really good... Um, catechetical lectures from St. Cyril of Jerusalem. Catechetical lecture means that these were letters written for people in the early church who wanted to become Christian. And we have in our text here from St. Cyril of Jerusalem, the quote that I'm going to read for you. And it reads, If someone will say the essence of God is incomprehensible, then why do we speak about him? So he's asking his students, St. Cyril's teaching in the catechetical school. He's saying, if we can't know God and he's incomprehensible, we can't understand him fully, then why do we even speak about him, right? What's the point? So that's his question. And that might be the thought we have in our minds, right? God is so big. Right? Why are we even here thinking about these questions? It might be uh, futile. It might be a waste of time. And he's about to say the following to give them a sense of what he means about this. He says, It is really true that because I can't... Is it really true that because I cannot drink the whole river or I can't take water from it in moderation for my benefit? So basically he's saying... Can I take water from a river and still benefit from it? Yeah. But because I can't take the whole thing, does that mean I say it's no good? Of course not. Or again, is it true because I've entered into a great garden and can't eat all of its supply of fruits, would you have me go away hungry? Same thing. River analogy and the garden analogy. If I can't eat the whole garden, does that mean I shouldn't eat from it? Answer is obviously no. You should eat from it. I am now attempting to glorify the Lord, not to describe him, knowing nevertheless I shall fall short of glorifying him worthily. Yet I deem it a work of piety, even to attempt it at all. So, what is he saying? He wants to enter the tradition. St. Cyril is saying what I was saying earlier. We're talking about paradoxes. We're talking about capital T stuff. And he understands the enormity of the subject. He understands it's a little beyond him. Yes, you and I have a car and we drive it and we can open the hood and we can feel overwhelmed, like it's beyond our ability, right? Like we are not experts in it. But go ahead and take the journey of your faith and try to explore just like these humble church fathers are trying to explore. He's basically trying to say, don't be intimidated. Don't be overwhelmed by the tradition. Yes, it's great. But that doesn't mean we should not enjoy it and take from it. Does this make sense? I want to share with you one of the quotes from an Eastern Orthodox abbot named Vasilios from Mount Athos in Greece. This is what he says about the Orthodox tradition. He says, our words often are flabby and weak. In order for the word to be passed on and give life, the word has to be made flesh. So now he's playing with the word, the logos of God, meaning person, Jesus Christ, versus our words about the logos, right? These are two, this is a play on words, which is, I'm going to say something about God, but God is a person. So now we have it in a different way where we could be understood through a person, so the tradition is not just a bunch of eloquently placed words that say something that sounds nice, but it's actually about a person, right? And then he continues and says, When along with your word you give your flesh and your blood to others, only then do your words be, mean something. This is why at the Last Supper, the Lord summarized a very, the very mystery of his preaching by saying, Take, eat my body, and drink my blood. You know, this morning, after the liturgy, some people sometimes make uh, some comments about, like, the liturgy. The liturgy was beautiful, or, you know, this or that about the liturgy. And sometimes we get a little caught up with the small tea stuff. And I told them, my beloved, all that we did in Ashaya, Tazbiha, our long prayers, all of that, do you know what it's like? It's like a baby trying to mumble words to God. To us, it sounds like we're, we're saying stuff. Of course we're saying stuff. We're saying deep theology. But to the ears of God, it's like a baby trying to talk, right? Why am I saying that? Because that's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, it's good and all that you understand the tradition, but the tradition belongs to a person. That person is our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? So I hope now you have some sense of paradosis in a deeper meaning, tradition. What the tradition actually means, what it is important for, and how to actually enter into that space of the tradition of the church. right? The spirit of it, the essence of it, why why we're even talking about this in the first place, And, and to be encouraged to say something because it belongs to God. Right? Because when I say the words of the liturgy, or when I preach, or when I do anything, they're made holy. These words are made holy. We say a word about God because he gave us the ability to say something. Right? But we shouldn't be so confident in just that. But God gives grace to these words. God is a person. He is the Logos. He is the word of God. So how does orthodox tradition work? How does it work? So it is, disc- it is described as a mechanism. Remember, I was saying the tradition is like an engine. So it's a mechanism. It, it has parts that move and it's like organs also, like in our human anatomy and physiology, right? Together, these things work together to produce our being. And we can do all these things in life because of this mechanism that we call the body. Tradition is the same thing. Tradition is a mechanism. And what are the mechanics in which the tradition operates? What are the mechanics in which the tradition operates? So there are things that are moving. There's moving parts and functions and all that. We're trying to understand how they relate and how they work. So we can theorize about tradition, but but a tradition is also practical. So we could say a lot of theoretical things today about the tradition. But again, tradition is practical. What are we doing practically? Tradition can argue it is a mechanism through which we interpret the scripture. If there was one major thing in like the whole system, right, when we think about like big parts of an engine or big parts of a human body, what's the first thing you would say is like such an important vital organ in the human body? A heart, right? If I were to say what's a very, you know, necessary part of an engine. Like, what's a big part of it? What's the most important thing under a hood? The engine or the motor or the the pistons or something along those lines, right? And if I were to ask you, what is the most important thing in the church? One of the big things. What are one of the big parts of the tradition of the church? What would you say? Okay, it's up there, but the answer is right in the slide, the last bullet. The Bible, the Word of God, the Scripture. The Scripture, like what is a church? What is the tradition without what? The Scripture. And what is the church or what is the tradition without Christ? These are like two big things. Like, all right, human body, the brain, and the heart. These are very big organs. Same thing. Like if you want to parallel this with the human body, you would say Christ and the Scripture. These are two very big things in the tradition. So when someone talks about the church and there's some issues with how they interpret the scripture, we have a problem. And if someone says something incorrect about Christ, we have, a, we have a problem. Right? So when someone talks to you about tradition, you're going to understand that the brain and the heart of the church are like the Christ and the scripture. But there's details, and those details matter. We spoke about how they work, But now we have to, or like how important they are. But how do they work? How should they function? And how should they relate to each other? That's very important. That's tradition. We good? Any questions or comments? Please talk. If there's anything, let me know. So let's go deeper in this. There's a theologian by the name of Georges Florovsky, And this is what he says on tradition. He says, tradition is scripture rightly understood. What does that mean? It's re-emphasizing what we just said, which is, all right, we got the tradition, capital T, Paragosis, great. It's important. Great. We have to understand the Bible the right way. So what he's saying is the Bible could be understood incorrectly. So what's our task? I mean, our task, I would say, is to know who Christ is properly, and is to know what the Bible is properly. Maybe the person of Christ is a little bit easier because it's a little bit more relatable. You've got to understand some language and his humanity and his divinity being one and we get into that in, in servants prep. But a much bigger task is what I would say is the scripture. You have a huge Bible in front of you. You have to read that Bible. I see what you guys do with the Bible that you're writing things and reflecting on it. You have to interpret the Bible right. So how do you do that? That's a task of a lifetime. That's not uh, a pre-servant's two years and you're done and that's not just Christology 101 and you learn something about the formula of who Christ is and you're done. The scripture, tradition, is scripture rightly understood. Are we good? That's why you have traditions, plural, more than one which is not real because there's only one tradition, right? So if you interpret something wrong in the Bible you get different denominations. You get different sacraments. Things look different. Things happen. Why? Because you interpreted the Bible differently. Are we good with this? Let's define tradition a little bit more. This is a man, a theologian, named Vladimir Lossky. And he has a book on traditions, and this is what he says in his book. Tradition is the unique mode of receiving the truth. It is the unique mode of receiving the truth. The truth is a person. The truth is the scripture. So this is how I receive something. So paradosis, tradition, a lot like lowercase t, is things you've received. So going back to small case t, how do you know this recipe? There are some things that are similar between uppercase and lowercase t. How do you know This recipe in your family? Well, my mother passed this on to me. I watched her do this and it's in her cookbook. It doesn't matter. Same thing with capital T. How do we know how this is how you read the Bible? It was passed down to me. How do we know that Christ is to be understood in this way? It was handed down to me. Right? So tradition is the unique mode of receiving the truth. It is a way to accept the truth found in the scripture. Tradition is the content of revelation. So God revealed something to us in himself and in the Bible. It's now how we take that revelation and do something with it. But the light that reveals it, right? So tradition is not the content of the revelation. It's not about the details, but it's about the light that reveals it. So now we're talking about like a more higher thing. We're saying that capital T is not just like what I got. It's more like I know that this is the light. I know something about the light that reveals the truth. Tradition is not the word, but it is the living breath which makes the word heard. Same idea. It's not just like the words, but it's like it is the living breath. It's just it's just the sound itself. Tradition is the silence from which the word came. Very deep, right? It's going into more deeper things, more what we would call first things. That's what we would call them. We would call them the arche. The arche is the first principle. In theology, you always want to get to the first principle. You want to say, what's the more bigger thing. Like if we're going to get philosophical, we're going to say, before the word was a voice, that was God. God gives the word. You get it? Before there was these things that we see, there was light. Without light, we can't see any of this, right? So that's what we're saying. Tradition is like this big thing. So tradition is related to the Holy Spirit. Because something is revealed to us and made known to us, that means the Holy Spirit is working in the scripture And the Holy Spirit is working on revealing to us who Christ is. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father was in heaven, right? When Christ proclaimed the divinity of Christ. Whenever you know something in the Word of God, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but God reveals this to you. When you have something that you can teach from the Bible, you didn't figure this out. The Church Fathers traditioned this to you. St. Paul says... No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the power of the Holy Spirit in the tradition is very important. No one can understand who Jesus is except by the Holy Spirit. Again, we want to know who Christ is. We want to know who the Bi- what the Bible is. But how to do that? Through the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes? I have, I have um, confused about this uh, being the people who don't have the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, who do not know God, like the, people, like the atheists and the people Muslim, like people who don't have the Holy Spirit, what yeah. will it be about well, it reveal itself to them in a different way? Yeah. So. I love the question. It's a good one. What I may say may be a little alarming, but is is true. The Holy Spirit, we say, is everywhere present and He fills all things. So everyone is endowed with something from God. Maybe not the fullness of God, not the full Holy Spirit, but there's something what we would call inborn, innate, endowed in a human person, regardless of anything, regardless of how good they are, bad they are, what their religion is or not. So there is something inside of a person, and a lot of times we can understand this in things like Morality. In morality, we understand that even if someone was not educated or taught anything, they know something within, inside of, within them saying, this is good, this is bad. They have a moral compass. What do you call that? You call that something like the Spirit of God. So it's safe to say that we have the idea or the understanding that the Holy Spirit's operating even outside of the, the dwelling, the full dwelling, the indwelling of a Christian. So, we get way more as a Christian because we've accepted Him. But the, the Holy Spirit's still operating in non believers. And that's how they have to come to faith. There's, that's actually the only way. I hope that gives some answer to that question. So you're asking about how like the tradition is passed down to you as like um, a way of how to understand it. Like, is that your question? Is your question like, is tradition just something being passed down or is it something more? Or what's your your thought? Because I'm trying to... Yeah, so it's a great question and and that quote, it might be a little confusing because yes, you are receiving something, but again, we don't want to get hung up on just receiving a gift, we have to understand the source of the gift, right? Sometimes we can apply our worldly sort of feelings and emotions to how we receive something, yeah, there's excitement around receiving something, but sometimes we forget the giver of the gift, That's what it's trying to say. You've received something amazing, but you have to understand it's not exactly yours, right? If I gave you something, I'm the owner or the sort of the source of that gift. So the tradition, what he's trying, Lasky is trying to say is, don't get too excited with receiving something alone, but understand the giver of the gift. The giver of the gift is the Holy Spirit. So it came from a, a source that is more important than what it actually is. Makes Great question. Okay. I love the questions. I think it's good to ask them because it helps us together. Think about the questions that we're putting in front of us. We're talking about tradition. Tradition, capital T things versus little t things and why, how we receive it, how it relates to other things in the church, and, and so on. So um, how was Jesus experienced by different people? Right? This is a, uh, an idea here that's so important. Jesus was encountered by countless people. Many people encountered him. Certainly not everyone experienced him as the Lord, right? That was your question, Tim, or earlier. Like, everyone has encounters with the Holy Spirit, but not everyone says, I submit. I, I will listen. I will agree. Right? So, so many people can encounter the truth in one way or another. But not everyone has the same response, right? That's very clear and obvious in the Bible, right? Not everyone said to Christ, I'll follow you. He said to many people, follow me. And some of them said, oh, hold up. I have to go do this. Hold up. I got to go bury my dad or my mom, right? And he, he said things about that. So there was different experiences. Does that mean there's a deficiency in the Lord? No. Does that mean there's a deficiency in the Holy Spirit? No. People respond to God different ways. That's on us. So Jesus did this, right? Some experienced him not, um, as not but a blasphemer. Even like some people cursed him out. said, you're uh, uh, the ruler of demons and Beelzebub and uh, you should be crucified, right? Many people said that about him. Others saw him in all these aspiring uh, ways as like the prophets did. But others experienced him as the Lord himself. So some said, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. No one can uncover the genuine message of the Scripture, that is the message of the Old Testament and the New Testament, about the Lordship of Jesus, except through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the source. The source matters, instead of just receiving the gift. So tradition and the Holy Spirit. We said they're so important. If you want to understand tradition, you need to understand the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being the breath of the word of the truth. Right? We always think about the Holy Spirit like a wind. Even in the church, when the bishops come to ordain someone, they give them the gift, the breath of the Holy Spirit. They breathe on them. When you get the absolution by Abuna, he breathes on you, right? Because the apostolic tradition of the church, which I want to speak about maybe another time, is that this is what he told them. He gave them instructions. He said to them, if someone comes to you and confesses their sins, say this and do this. So they received instructions on what to do. St. John's Gospel is full of utterances about the Holy Spirit, about associating the Holy Spirit with the truth, right? We say that the spirit of truth is that term paraclete. Paraclete, the comforter, the spirit of truth. That means anything in your life that sounds right, you got to give the credit to the Holy Spirit. Anytime there's some truth, we call that the seed of truth. And it should be attributed to Christ or the Holy Spirit. Some of the church fathers, like Tamar was asking, they were, they were wrestling with this question of good people doing good things, but not giving the credit to Christ. So one of the church fathers, Justin Martyr, he said, some people have the seed of the truth. So the seed of the truth means what? It's not fully what? Grown. So he's basically saying you have a piece, a seed of what? Christ or the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? The Spirit of truth, I will send you, the Comforter, the Spirit, who will reveal to you all the truth, right? So we got to pray for the Holy Spirit. We did that this summer with the Pentecost, with the Apostles' fast. It's a big thing. The Holy Spirit is very very important in the tradition. So the Holy Spirit and the truth go hand in hand and they define each other. When we speak of tradition in the church we must we must very much in in the back of our minds think of the Holy Spirit. So if you're going to think about tradition, if you're going to think about any of this stuff, you got to say where's the Holy Spirit? Where's the Holy Spirit in my life? Call on the Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit. Welcome the Holy Spirit when you're trying to do godly things. When you're trying to open your Bible, when you're trying to read the Word of God, pray to God. Pray pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Say, help me know you. Help me see you. Reveal your truth to me. I care about you as the giver right? All the things we just said right now make a difference, right? I would hope so. All right, so tradition in the writing of the New Testament. What is the Bible, right? We said tradition, the Bible, and Christ. These are very big parts of the tradition. So what is the Bible after all? Is it not just a set of different books written in a sequence A to Z, they are vastly different in their function and their genre, right? Again, you look at things very holistically or from a bird's eye view. Yeah, it's so simple. We just simplified it. The Bible and tradition and uh, Christ, okay, glory be to God forever, amen. Hold up. The Bible's a big set of books. It has a lot in there. You can't just say, and glory be to God forever, amen. You have to, you have to go into it. And they function differently. And they have different genres. We also have two Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. These also uh, need to be delineated as to how they function. They also have a tradition. They also have a function. One wouldn't say that the uh, Old Testament describes an angry God, an anthropomorphic and vengeful God, and the New Testament describes a loving God. There was a heretic in Alexandria. His name was who? Anyone know? Marcion. Marcion, he was a priest's son, P.K. He read the Old Testament and he read the New Testament. And he said, these are two gods. Old Testament God, he gets angry, he gets upset. So, like, let's just not read the Old Testament. New Testament God, so nice. Smiles. Maybe one time he flipped the table, but that was it. Okay. So I like the New Testament God, so we're gonna go with Jesus. Old Testament God? No, no, no. So what does that mean? There's two gods and they're different. Big problem. Do you see what we're saying here? So when you're saying Old Testament, New Testament, oh, what's the big deal? Glory be to God forever, amen? Old Testament, this is information, right? But information, look at what it did to Marcion, right? If you look at it at face value, you're gonna say heretical things. So you have to be careful. You have to be careful. Yeah, why is the Old Testament this way? What does it mean that God did this or that? How do we make sense of hard verses? How do we un- make sense of violence in the Old Testament? How do we make sense of the bloodshed? we gotta, we got to look into that. And we have to figure that out. How do we make sense of polygamy, multiple marriages? How do we, right? These are hard questions. But we have to come up with sound, traditional teachings. And we have them. We have answers for these things. So that's what I was saying. This is actually her- heresy refuted in the second century called Marcionism. So his name Marcion is, is now transferred into Marcionism and that's a whole issue, right? Uh, that we obviously don't have anymore because it got squashed. No one agreed with this, by the way. Maybe a few people followed and it fizzled out. So nonetheless, the Old Testament and the New Testament are two different worlds, but they are still one Bible. Such as the New Testament is not more, um, is not just more Scripture added on after the Old Testament. right? It's not just like, okay, here's some extra stuff that we're going to say. I think I'll go for another three minutes and we'll take a break. So the tradition in the writing of the Old Testament. So we said a little bit about, all right, in general, the Old Testament and the New Testament and Marcionism and all of that. So in the New Testament, it is referred, uh, so New Testament refers to the, the Scriptures as the Old Testament. Does that make sense? So whenever you hear in the New Testament, the Scriptures, the Scriptures would mean the Old Testament. Scriptures is coming from the word graphi. Graphi meaning the writings. The writings meaning the Scriptures. So you could refer to Scripture as the whole Bible, or more specifically, the Old Testament. When St. Paul says Jesus died and rose again according to the Scriptures, Jesus died and rose according to the Old Testament. Oh my God. That makes a big difference. Right? When Jesus, in the New Testament, is saying to people that understand what the word Scripture means, And he says, I died and I rose according to what? The scriptures he's saying, this happened in the Old Testament. What do you mean? I didn't see that you were born and died and rose in the Old Testament. Well, he said it. So he's saying, I'm eternal. He's saying, I was there from the beginning. Hold up. So now you just gave us a big task. We need to find you in the Old Testament. So if I give you the Old Testament right now, guys, and say, guys, I'm going to give you a a great project. Find everything you could possibly find in the Old Testament that refers to Jesus. Do you know how many references you will come up with? On your own. You don't even have to be educated. You'll see it. Now imagine I gave you some tools, like the church fathers. You're going to have thousands of examples. And not just that. How amazing would it be for you to say, wow, I never thought of it like that. Something is being revealed to you. So yes, he took flesh. He became man. Then he says something like that. He drops a bomb on us. He gives us a huge task to figure out who he is and how to find him in the Old Testament. How beautiful is that? That's what we should be doing. That's why we have a Christocentric reading of the Old Testament. We good? He also says, according to Moses, the Psalms and the prophets. So he's getting more specific. So read Moses, you're going to find me. He's telling the Jews, read the Pentateuch. Read the Torah. You're going to find me even in your Torah. But they didn't want to see it. Read the Psalms. They speak of me. They didn't see him. The prophets, they speak of me in Siem. How could you miss it? So so strange. But we make the same mistake in our own way. Now that Jesus has come and that Jesus has lived and taught and most significantly died on of his own will, Christians from the very beginning read the Old Testament in a completely different way. We read the Old Testament, the scriptures in the light of Christ with the lens of Christ. We understand it backwards. We understand it backwards. Now we have Christ, and we can see the Old Testament and bring it back to him. So, they read the Old Testament as the story of Christ. The Gospel, Acts, Epistles, and Revelation are the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They present Christian reading of the Old Testament. Jesus says this, Moses, he said it. Jesus, our Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ said, Moses wrote of me. He's, it doesn't get more explicit. He's not even saying it in like a parable or in a like symbolic way. He says, Moses wrote of me. Can you imagine listening to Christ teach in a synagogue and say that? One time he said, today, this has been fulfilled in your presence. People heard him say things like that. And they understood it. He's not, like, dancing around it. He's not skipping around it. He's very direct. Okay. Referring to the five books of Moses. Another biblical example is at the end of Luke's Gospel, the story of the disciples to the road of Emmaus. They opened the scriptures, and they broke bread, and then they knew who he was. Same thing, like you said, Mark. Marcus. Marco, you said... The liturgy is important. Yeah. In the road to Emmaus, they knew him after they broke bread. They knew him after reading the Bible. So same thing. They knew him backwards. understood him backwards. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The law and the prophets and the Psalms were all about Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, we see the tradition functioning in a way to read and interpret the the scriptures, the Old Testament, and tradition continues to read the Bible this way. This is the traditional way to read the Bible. So we've been speaking about Baradho capital T. Again, let's distinguish. You shouldn't think in a superficial way now. You shouldn't be like, it's a tradition. We come and we read the Bible on this day and glory be to God forever, men. No, you would have this would have went right over your head, and you would have not gotten anything. We're saying something more superior. Tradition is, in my life, and in the life of the church, we understand that God says that He is from the beginning, and that I will understand Him backwards, and in my life, I will experience Him that same way. And He is the message, and He is the giver of the gift and this is how I read the Bible and this is what it means in my life. Now you're different. Why? Because you understand capital T. So please think about it a little bit more critically, a little bit more deeper. Traditions are not just like nice little emotional feelings of having these memories and oh we used to do things like this. That's good but that's small t. Capital T should have a more profound impact on your life, because of your faith. OK, let's take a break. Stretch. OK, so Bible alone. Sola Scriptura. There's another one. So this is basically saying these are the five most important parts of our mechanism, our church. It says something. Okay, we knew that. This whole time we're talking about Christ in the Bible. So, Christ alone is another one. Okay, good. We're good. Christ alone, the Bible alone. What else do they say? Grace alone. Ha! Ah, it's very different. Language. By grace you're saved. Talk to any Orthodox. Yeah, we believe that. That's they fear. They're going in on it. Why? Because now you don't have to work out your salvation. You don't need. This language of penance and like Lord have mercy and I'm a sinner, it's very different. So sola so means? Well, it means start. only. It means that like, if you just do this thing, you're good. Like, you're, you're good. You'll, you could get saved by grace alone. You could get saved by Christ alone. You could get saved by the scripture. Okay, that's three out of five. There's two more. Huh? I believe faith is one. Yes? And there's one more tradition alone. They have it. But what tradition? Tradicio. And in their tradition, it means I handed down something. In, in the Catholic Church, too. It means a transmission. It was the whole thing about the baton. It was the whole thing about the fork that I gave you. But we spoke about that already. And an important dynamic to understand the word tradition is to see it as an active action, activity. It is a living thing. It's a mechanism, it's alive, it's organic. I'll tell you another thing. Maybe you'll follow me and maybe you won't. These screens with Coptic Reader, there was a time where it didn't exist. If you say this to your kids, they're gonna be like, what? Yeah, there was a time when you didn't have these things. Now it's so embedded, that it's a tradition. There is a very famous Latin father. His name is Vincent of Lorenz. Vincent of Lorenz said something so important about the tradition. He said this. This is his criteria. If it happens everywhere, all the time, it is the tradition. If it happens everywhere, all the time, it has now become what? Tradition. So something could get introduced, and we're experimenting with it. If it takes root, it will be part of the church, even though we didn't think it would be. But now we're talking about technology. Technology, this is like a 21st century thing. This is like the beginning of technology finding its way in the Coptic church. Okay, this is how we're going to use it. But now it opens up questions. There's questions to wrestle with. What are the dangers? What are the benefits? right? What's the benefit of this? It's only the Igbeg. It can only be the Igbeya. What's the danger of that? It could be a bunch of other things. It's not consecrated. This is consecrated. This means the only use for this is pot can only be the Igbeg. But this can be used for everything else. So now it, it goes against that. I'm not I'm not arguing against it. I'm not taking a side. I'm just giving you guys ways to think. Apple will release an Apple Vision Pro. The question might be one day, do we allow it in church? It's a question. Now there's a debate. Now there's a controversy. What are the pros? What are the cons? I get it, and I agree with you. But this all will be smart. Does it impact the faith? What? Yep, exactly. So now you're, you're, you're understanding where to put things in categories. You have five uh, solas in this tradition, in our church. Do we have anything like that? Did you ever hear someone say, and reduce the... I, I get a little worried when someone does that, because it's all important. But we can't say they're all weighted the same. Does that make sense? We don't do that. All right. Tradition is timeless truth. Orthodox Christians refer to the tradition as living. It's alive. If it's living, it means it's evolving, it's growing, it's developing through the work of the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. Can make decisions. All right. I spoke about this image of the baton or the fork, right? This is a deposit of knowledge. I gave you a check. I gave you a treasure. It's your job to cash. It. It's your job to do something with the richness of the tradition. It's not like I gave you a gift and you like, oh, that's so nice, and you just put it. You got to do something with the gift deposited to you. The Greek word is parakethi. Parithiki. Parithiki means the deposit. So you are baptized, you are given a deposit. You are given all the keys to all the doors of the church. The spiritual keys. St. Paul exhorts his reader to guard what is entrusted to them. You are entrusted. You are a steward. You are a caretaker. You are a guardian of the tradition. Keep the tradition. Keep the tradition. Right? So you think of it differently now. Who Jesus is and what he has done for the salvation of the world. The message is simple, that Jesus has come into the world, died and rose for us and our salvation. So it can be extremely complex, and what is being traditioned or handed down to us is important. Almost done. There's something called the two-source theory of tradition. This is important. In Catholicism, there is a two-source theory called scripture and tradition. Scripture and tradition. That's called the two-source theory of tradition. This two-source theory came up as a reaction to what? Sola Scriptura. So when you say in the Protestant tradition, Sola Scriptura, that scripture alone reveals the truth. Scripture alone reveals the truth, but as an authoritative source coming from the church and from Christ. In the reaction, the reformation of idea, was an articulation of a second source as what? Tradition. That's what we were saying. So where you at one hand have the scripture and the other hand have a tradition, tradition is content, such as the writing of the church fathers. Tradition is the writing known as the church fathers. That's what I stress. That's what I stress a lot. As a, if there's one trademark that's Abuna Anthony, it's what the father said. If you look at what I do in my Bible study, it's what the fathers said. What did the fathers say? Because that's the tradition of the church. That's me doing the puzzle. That's me doing the Lego kit with the fathers. And with you. Because that's what we have to do. Oh, yeah, that's a great, like, like what St. Mark said it, put it in writing, and that became a canon, yes. and the church, would stand the it. and yes. some of the church fathers were not canonized, but does it mean that they are less? Yeah, it's a great question. One would be an inspired text, the other would fall in a category just underneath it, and cannot see the Writings of the church fathers are inspired by the Holy Spirit. What we can see is they are grace-filled and they are approved by the church. The church says these are guiding points on how to understand the Bible. And another thing that's so important is sometimes some church fathers contradict each other. So now you have a situation of trying to reconcile some things in the fathers, and that's another area that needs some skill. It's not just this father said it, because you could do a proof texting with the father. There's something called patristic fundamentalism. The same way you could be extreme about the Bible, you could be extreme about the church fathers, and it's a disaster. The father said, say evanesh said, and, and you could just go crazy, right? And and come off like a righteous person, but indeed you're very delusional. So yes, everything in moderation and everything in how it should function. So please, don't just take one thing in the tradition and run with it. Yes, the fathers are important, but don't just use that as a, an excuse to do what you want either. You have to be very careful. Very good. I love all that we said. Uh, even in the, 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 the creed, we say according to the scriptures. We could also say according to the tradition. According to the tradition. I want to end with this. Uh, two more slides and I'll be done. Tradition, small t, can sometimes come off like expressions. I'll give you an idea. We are one faith, one Orthodox faith with the Syrian, the Armenian, the Indian, the Ethiopian. What if I told you they have a tradition in the Armenian church when they do the liturgy? They just put the wine in the chalice and not water. Oops. Now someone that's like a hardcore Coptic, you're like, you didn't put water? You didn't put water in the chalice? Is this the blood of Christ? Look, that's, that's shallow. That's very low-level tea thinking. Because this is a flavor. This is an expression. It's not that the water is like the water that came out of Jesus' side. And so we're right and they're wrong. No. This is still the blood of Christ. It's still one faith. You have a right to go into communion here. They can come to communion here. But it's like this. One is chocolate. One is vanilla. One is strawberry. One is pistachio. They're all ice cream. And they're all approved. They're approved by the church. As the ingredients are good. And the way they arrange them are acceptable for them. So don't just come and say, you know, I know something. In the Armenian church, I'm just giving you an example. I just wake up one day, like, you know what? I don't want to put water in the chalice. I put just the wine it. No. It doesn't justify it because I know something from another tradition or a hymn. Oh, in this church, they do this, so that makes it right because we're in communion with them. No, it doesn't. In their church, that's what they do, and it's okay if I attend with them and sing with them like that because that's your tradition. It's expressions, it's flavors. And everyone needs to stay in their lane. If I take chocolate and pistachio and I try to mix them, it's So It's good on its own for what it is. There is a very fine line of how you could blend things, and that's you have to walk on a very fine line. Actually, in two weeks, I'm going to be praying with. Uh, the Syrian Orthodox. And I'm going to be very, like, tippy-toe. Like, it's not a simple thing to do. I'm going to follow their instructions, but I'm not going to do something that is sensitive to my tradition. That's hard to that's hard to do. And that's a very rare thing, by the way, to find something. Co- like, we have something. I wish you could see it. It's called a Concelebrated Liturgy. This used to happen many times in the past. I wish one day you could see it all the sister churches come together and we pray a liturgy together. What does that liturgy look like? Yikes. It's, it's a cocktail. Huh? There's one in YouTube. Yeah, I was there. You, I was a little deacon there. But uh, I want you to attend it one day. It's unique, though. There's questions. Is this even right, what we're doing? Huh? All of it is right yes, and that's what I'm saying. There's expressions of the tradition. Okay? All right. Um, this is where I want to end. These are the sources of the tradition. The councils. Right? We just said that. The ecumenical councils or local councils. Even local councils. We say Nicaea, Constantinople, Ephesus. Okay. Okay. There's other small councils like the one on the circumcision that's called the Council of Jerusalem. That's a small local council. There's a lot of these guys. Councils are a source of tradition. The church fathers, they are a source of tradition. The liturgy is a source of tradition. Icons are a source of tradition. The synaxar is a source of tradition. Anything historical, anything that gives information, anything that gives sort of a pattern you could follow, that's a source to and it's consistent with all of it. The way I want to speak about it like this is it's an iPhone and it's compatible with this wire. You get it? You can't take an Android and try to put an iPhone thing unless you have an adapter. So the con-celebrated liturgy is like the adapter. The bishops are there like the refer like okay have an adapter. But don't act like this when you're this. Or this one, and these are the sources, and these are the criteria, these are the rules, these are the mechanisms. Glory be to God for that. Thank you so much. I hope you have some idea about tradition, and we could talk later about it. It's seven. Okay, so Bible alone, Sola Scriptura. There's another one. So, this is basically saying these are the five most important parts of our mechanism, our church. It says something, though. Okay, we knew that. This whole time we're talking about Christ in the Bible. So, Christ alone is another one. Okay, good, we're good. Christ alone, the Bible alone. What else do they say? Grace alone. Ah, it's very different language. By grace, you're saved. Talk to any Orthodox. Yeah, we believe that. That's, they're going in on it. Why? Why? Because, now you don't have to work out your salvation. You don't need this language of penance and like Lord have mercy and I'm a sinner, it's very different. So sola means. It means only it means like if you just do this thing, you're good. Like you're you're good. You'll, you could get saved by grace alone. You could get saved by Christ alone. You could get saved by the scripture. Okay, that's three out of five. There's two more. Huh? I believe faith is one. Yes? And there's one more. Tradition alone. They have it. But what tradition? Tradicio. And in their tradition, it means I handed down something. In, In the Catholic Church, too. It means a transmission. It was the whole thing about the baton. It was the whole thing about the fork that I gave you. But we spoke about that earlier. In an important dynamic to understand, the word tradition is to see it as an active action, activity. It is a living thing. It's a mechanism. It's alive. It's organic. I'll tell you another thing. Maybe you'll follow me and maybe you won't. These screens with Coptic people, there was a time where it didn't exist. If you say this to your kids, they're going to be, what? Yeah, there was a time when you didn't have it. Now it's so embedded that it's a tradition. There is a very famous Latin father. His name is Vincent of Lorenz. Vincent of Lorenz said something so important about the tradition. He said this. This is his criteria. If it happens everywhere, all the time, it is the tradition. If it happens everywhere, all the time, it has now become what? Tradition. So something could get introduced, and we're experimenting with it. If it takes root, it will be part of the church, even though we didn't think it would be. But now we're talking about technology. Technology, this is like a 21st century thing. This is like the beginning of technology finding its way in the Coptic church. Okay, this is how we're going to use it. But now it opens up questions. There's questions to wrestle with. What are the dangers? What are the benefits? Right? What's the benefit of this? It's only the Igbe. It can only be the Igbe. What's the danger of that? It could be a bunch of other things. It's not consecrated. This is consecrated. This means the only use for this is pop, can only be the Igbe. But this can be used for everything else. So now it it goes against that. I'm not not arguing against it. I'm not taking a side. I'm just giving you guys ways to think. Apple will release an Apple Vision Pro. The question might be one day, do we allow it in church? It's a question. Now there's a debate. Now there's a controversy. What are the pros? What are the cons? No, I get it. And I agree with you. But this all will be smart. Does it impact the faith? What impact? Uh, yep, exactly. So now you're, you're, you're understanding where to put things in categories. You have five uh, solas in this tradition, in our church. Do we have anything like that? Did you ever hear someone say and reduce the... I, I get a little worried when someone does that. Because it's all important. But we can't say they're all weighted the same. Does that make sense? We don't do that. All right. Tradition is timeless truth. Orthodox tradition. Christians refer to the tradition as living. It's alive. If it's living, it means it's evolving, it's growing, it's developing through the work of the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. We can make decisions. All right. I spoke about this image of the baton or the fork, right? This is a deposit of knowledge. I gave you a check. I gave you a treasure. It's your job to cash it. It's your job to do something with the richness of the tradition. It's not like I gave you a gift and you're like, oh, that's so nice, and you just put it. You got to do something with the gift deposited to you. The Greek word is parakethi. Parithiki. Parithiki means the deposit. So you are baptized, you are given a deposit. You are given all the keys to all the doors of the church. The spiritual keys. St. Paul exhorts his reader to guard what is entrusted to them. You are entrusted. You are a steward. You are a caretaker. You are a guardian of the tradition. Keep the tradition. Keep the tradition. So you think of it differently now. Who Jesus is and what he has done for the salvation of the world. The message is simple. That Jesus has come into the world, died and rose for us and our salvation. So it can be extremely complex and what is being traditioned or handed down to us is important. Almost done. There's something called the two-source theory of tradition. This is important. In Catholicism, there is a two-source theory called Scripture and Tradition. Scripture and tradition. That's called the two-source theory of tradition. This two-source theory came up as a reaction to what? Sola Scriptura. So when you say in the Protestant tradition, Sola Scriptura, that scripture alone reveals the truth. Scripture alone reveals the truth, but as an authoritative source coming from the church and from Christ. In the reaction, the reformation of idea, was an articulation of a second source as what? Tradition. That's what we were saying. So where you at one hand have the scripture and the other hand have a tradition, tradition is content, such as the writing of the church fathers. Tradition is the writing known as the church fathers. That's what I stress. That's what I stress a lot. As a, if there's one trademark that's a Anthony, it's what the father said. If you look at what I do in my Bible study, it's what the fathers said. What did the fathers say? Because that's the tradition of the church. That's me doing the puzzle. That's me doing the Lego kit with the fathers. And with you. Because that's what we have to do. Oh, yeah, that's a great... Okay. Like, like what St. Mark said, it, he put it in writing, and that became the canon. Yes. And the church would stand for the visit. And yes. some of the church fathers were not canonized, but does it mean that they are less? Yeah, it's a great question. One would be an inspired text, the other would fall in a category just underneath it we cannot see the writings of the church fi- fathers are inspired by the Holy Spirit. What we can see is they are grace filled and they are approved by the church. The church says these are guiding points on how to understand the Bible. And another thing that's so important is sometimes some church fathers contradict each other. So now you have a situation of uh, trying to reconcile some things with the fathers, and that's another area that needs some skill. It's not just this father said it. Because you could do a proof texting with the father. There's something called patristic fundamentalism. The same way you could be extreme about the Bible, you could be extreme about the church fathers and it's a disaster. The father said, say, said and, and you could just go crazy, right? And, and come off like a righteous person, but indeed you're very delusional. I mean, so yes, everything in moderation and everything in how it should function. So please, don't just take one thing in the tradition and run with it. Yes, the fathers are important, but don't just use that as a, an excuse to do what you want either. You have to be very careful. Very good. I love all that we said. Uh, even in the, 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 the creed, we say according to the scriptures. We could also say according to the tradition, according to the tradition. I want to end with this. Uh, Two more slides and I'll be done. Tradition, small t can sometimes come off like expressions. I'll give you an idea. We are one faith, one Orthodox faith with the Syrian, the Armenian, the Indian, Ethiopian, what if I told you they have a tradition in the Armenian church when they do the liturgy? They just put the wine in the chalice and not water. Oops! Now someone that's like a hardcore Coptic, you're like, you didn't put water? You didn't put water in the chalice? Is this the blood of Christ? Look, that's that's shallow. That's very low-level tea thinking. Because this is a flavor. This is an expression. It's not that the water is like the water that came out of Jesus' side And so we're right and they're wrong. No. This is still the blood of Christ. It's still one faith. You have a right to go into communion here. They can come to communion here. But it's like this. One is chocolate. One is vanilla. One is strawberry. One is pistachio. They're all ice cream. And they're all approved. They're approved by the church as the ingredients are good. And the way they arrange them are acceptable for them. So don't just come in and say, you know, I know something in the Armenian Church. I'm just giving you an example. I just wake up one day like, you know what? I don't want to put water in the chalice. I put just the wine, in it. no. It doesn't justify it because I know something from another tradition, or a hymn. Oh, in this church they do this, so that makes it right because we're in communion with them. No, it doesn't. In their church, that's what they do. And it's okay if I attend with them and sing with them like that because that's your tradition. It's expressions. It's flavors. And everyone needs to stay in their lane. If I take chocolate and pistachio and I try to mix them, it's... It's good on its own for what it is. There's a very fine line of how you could blend things, and that's, you have to walk on a very fine line. Actually, in two weeks, I'm going to be praying with uh, the Syrian Orthodox, and I'm going to be very, like, tippy-toe. Like, it's not a simple thing to do. I'm going to follow their instructions, but I'm not going to do something that is sensitive to my tradition. That's hard to, that's hard to do. And that's a very rare thing, by the way, to find something like, we have something. I wish you could see it. It's called a con-celebrated liturgy. This used to happen many times in the past. I wish one day you could see it. All the sister churches come together and we pray a liturgy together. What does that liturgy look like? Yikes. It's, it's a cocktail. Huh? There's one in Staten? Yeah, I was there. You, I was a little deacon there. But uh, I want you to attend it one day. It's unique, though. There's questions. Is this even right, what we're doing? Uh, so like, every, all of it is right in this whole point. Yes. And that's what I'm saying. There's expressions of the tradition. OK? All right. Um, this is where I want to end. These are the sources of the tradition, the councils right? We just said that. The ecumenical councils or local councils, even local councils. We say Nicaea, Constantinople, Ephesus. Okay, there's other small councils like the one on the circumcision. That's called the Council of Jerusalem. That's a small local council. There's a lot of these guys. Councils are a source of tradition. The church fathers, they're a source of tradition. The liturgy is a source of tradition. Icons are a source of tradition. The art is a source of tradition. Anything historical, anything that gives information, anything that gives like sort of a pattern you could follow, that's a source of tradition. And it's consistent with all of it. The way I want to speak about it, like this, is it's an iPhone, and it's compatible with this wire. You get it? You can't take an Android and try to put an iPhone thing, unless you have an adapter. So the con celebrated liturgy is like the adapter. It's like the bishops are there like the refer, like okay, I'm an adapter. But don't act like this when you are this, or this when you're that. And these are the sources. And these are the criteria, these are the rules these are making to study. Glory be to God for that. Thank you so much. I hope you have some idea about tradition, and we could talk later about it. Because it's seven on a